0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. Particularly if you're with us for the first time, either here in the building or online, it's great to have you here. Um, it's good to be able to start our service with some good news um, as we congratulate Jordan and Zoe Finley on their marriage that took place here in the church yesterday. Uh, here's a photo of the, of the family. You'll recognize some of those faces there. Boys are a bit older, maybe than the last time you saw them. Um, There is an open invitation to go to the Finley's home after this service for coffee and cakes. If you'd like to join them, uh, feel free to to do so. Well, as we uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, we also mourn with those who mourn. And on Wednesday, the funeral service for Arthur Wood will be taking place here in the church. Uh, Arthur will be well known to to many of you. as a member here for for many years. And um, with the birth of Josh and Helen's baby, Raffi, recently... um, became a great-grandfather. So it's great to have uh, Rafi here this morning, and Josh and Helen, lovely to see you. Uh, We look forward to giving thanks to God for for Arthur's life. And if you'd like to come on Wednesday, you're all very welcome to join us for that, that service here in the church. Well, as I'm sure you know, last week lockdown restrictions were formally lifted by the governor, and individuals and organizations were encouraged to take responsibility for their own safety and that of others'. You should have received an email with the latest um, guidelines that we have adopted for for Sunday services. Um, In short, we will continue with two services for for the time being. Uh, We will remove the requirement for face masks other than for singing. Um, There will be seats at the back for um, uh, those who are politically vulnerable or feeling anxious about these things. So just ask the people to respect each other in terms of how you might be responding to this current situation. Uh, The music team are regrouping, and we'll be ready to lead the worship fully in September, which we look forward to. But there will be a possibility of occasional live music before then, and we look forward to having a couple of the songs this morning uh, played by, by the group. There is a new um, missionary prayer sheet available, which has photos, details, and prayer needs of all of our missionaries. So do please pick one of those up on on your way out if you haven't got it by email. And if you you don't really know where they are in the world, where they're serving, there is a map in the concourse. So have a look at that, and you'll know more details about their locations. Well, last week in our sermon series in Nehemiah, we um, saw how the people of Israel confessed their sin to God. They mourned over it before they celebrated God's grace towards them. And this morning we're looking at how the people of Israel repent, how they turn away from their sin and resolve to lead lives which honour God in, in all things. And in the passage in 1 Peter 1, that precedes our verse for the year, it says this, it's on the screen behind me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Whereas God continues to build his church here, it's always great to welcome new people into to membership. People who want to commit themselves to the body of Christ, who take seriously their own growth and the growth of others. So this morning, I'm going to welcome Emma Ashton into membership. Emma, so if you want to come forward. Um, for those who don't know Emma, it's a good opportunity to find out a bit about her. So Emma, if you stand there by the uh, pulpit and speak into the mic, and I'll um, ask some questions. Um, first of all, just share, how did you become a Christian?
1: So uh, my story started 12 years ago tomorrow um, with the birth of my first child. Um, So labour went really badly, like casualty dramatically badly. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And um, unbeknown to us and the doctors, what had been going on was that Jennifer's umbilical cord had become knotted into this huge ball um, over the last few weeks of pregnancy. And she wasn't growing and it was around her neck. And during labour as the contractions were pushing her out the cord because there was no, nothing left of it is in this ball was just tighter and tighter around her neck and was genuinely life threatening and the doctors responded accordingly and you know, it was an absolute miracle that she was born alive and, and not still and I just had this such a strong sense that you know, the reason that she was born alive was down to three very lucky coincidences, but I knew they weren't coincidences, and I had such a strong sense that that was God protecting her life and us. Um, and then the day after she was born, while still in hospital, I lost my job, I got made redundant, and I had actually realised, probably built the foundations of my life on my career, and put a lot of time and energy into it, and that overnight at the time just disappeared, so it really made me think, and I'd grown up in church, but I just didn't, I didn't want to become a Christian at all, so I thought, well, i put it to bed once and for all, and I'll read the Bible cover to cover, and I'll convince myself, you know, it's there's not really anything in it. And I started at the Gospels, and i would since been told that, you know, if you don't want to become a Christian, just don't read the Gospels, because you can't read them and not be sold. And I read them, and I was like, Jesus is awesome, and just rocked. I was amazing. And at the same time, we were then fighting an unpleasant um, court case over my redundancy. And I loved the justice that God had planned and has, that God's justice for and when His plan for the world and you know the plan to come. And I just wanted a slice of it. But I was still really bothered because I didn't like being told I was sinful. I had a real problem with that. But the more I read the Bible and kept going, I was like, well, we all are compared to Jesus, and I kind of overcame that hurdle. So I prayed and I said sorry for my sins and committed my life to God and followed that up and just walked into a local church after that and, and just kept going from there and you know, that's 12 years ago and it's just been amazing. God's done some amazing stuff um, some miracles in Reuben's health but it's God is actually there in the everyday it says in the Bible if you seek him you'll find him and he's there and it's God's there in the everyday so mm. that's my story.
0: yeah a Wonderful story isn't it? Thank you. Um, tell us a bit about your family. then me to yep. share a little bit already about um, children with Yeah.
1: So I'm married to Dave. Um, he's a great guy. We have to agree to disagree because he's an ardent atheist. Um, we've got Jennifer, who is 12, or just about to be, and then uh, Ruben, who's 10 and sports mad.
0: <laughs> And how has lockdown been for you as a family and for you personally?
1: Um, A real chalk and cheese. We started lockdown, I was working full time in a full on job, my workload doubled overnight because of COVID, my husband's workload doubled overnight and we had the kids at home homeschooling and it was an absolute shocker. Um, in the summer time I got poorly. I got a virus, um, glandular fever, and probably COVID. And overnight, I went from crazy busy to not being able to do anything and being in bed for months, very, very ill with post-viral fatigue. And it was a really frightening time for the family. My husband and kids had to do everything. I couldn't do anything. And we didn't know when I was going to get better. We didn't know if I was going to get better. Like late springtime I started to see some improvements and since then I've been improving and I'm on the road to recovery. It's still going to be several months more yet before I'm fully better. Um, so it's been a really, but now, you know, it's quite different now. I'm not busy at all. I don't have a job. I'm convalescing. Um, but God's been in it all, really in the thick of it. Um, so though it's been a very painful time. It's actually been a really positive time. There's lots of good to come from it.
0: Great. And why do you want to become a member now at this point?
1: So I've been coming for five years and I've I've sat on the fence and I've quite literally sat at the back for the whole five years. (laughs) And I just really feel God saying it's time to stop sitting on the fence and to get stuck in. Um, He didn't design it that we walk faith alone. He did it that we walk with other people. Um, And he created the church for a reason. And, you know, in the Bible it says you need to be part of that church.
0: Mm. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that testimony, Emma. I'm going to ask you some questions now, um, before we receive you into membership and ask the congregation also to support uh, Emma in your obligations towards her. So can I can ask you all to please, please stand. So Emma, let me ask you, Emma, do you affirm your faith in the one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and confess to you Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? I do. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, do you commit to share in the life, work and witness of this church and show Christian love and concern to other members of the church family and the wider community? I do. And to the church, do you promise to love, encourage, pray for and care for Emo as a fellow member? <laughs> we well, do. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and on behalf of this fellowship, we welcome you into, into the church. Thank you. Let's uh, let's pray for Emma now. Father God, we thank you for for Emma's testimony. Um, A wonderful reminder that you are a God who can do miracles. Thank you for saving Jennifer's life, uh, Emma's life. And thank you that through that uh, really challenging situation, you brought Emma to see that you are a real God, you are alive, and that you love her and want her to be one of your children. Thank you for the testimony of your word as she read it and saw the, the truth in it and couldn't do anything other than repent and turn to you and trust in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And we thank you even over this last year, Lord, through another challenging illness and a situation that um, you have laid her low but uh, helped her come to see um, just how much she depends on you, come to see just um, what are the things she's building her life on, Um, What are the priorities that she should have? Thank you for the ongoing work you're doing in her life. And thank you that she wants now to become a member. And we pray your blessing on her, that she's able to to be encouraged by the church family, as she encourages others, as she's able to use the gifts you've given her to serve the church uh, for your glorious sake. Blessed now we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat, and we're going to continue in prayer. Father God, we praise you that you are a holy God, perfect in wisdom, in love, in power. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father and we are your children. And we're sorry where we fail to live in the way you want us to live, in obedience to your word, where we fail to be gracious and forgiving towards each other on account of Jesus' death on the cross for our sakes. We pray that you would forgive us and restore a new spirit within us. I thank you for the wedding of Jordan and Zoe yesterday. Thank you for bringing them together, for their love for each other and for you. Help them to settle in well, to marry life together in their new home in Birmingham. And by your grace, to grow in their love for each other, whether in sickness or in health, whether richer or poorer and that you would enable them to grow deeper in their faith in you. And as we rejoice with them in their gladness, so we mourn with and pray for comfort and strength for the Wood family in their sadness following the loss of Arthur. We do pray for this funeral service on Wednesday, that it will be an opportunity to give thanks to you for the many ways in which you worked in Arthur's life, for those whose lives you touched through him. Thank you that Arthur had a real faith in you and is now enjoying his eternal home that he had been longing for. Father, we pray for teachers and pupils uh, following the end of term, that they would have a good rest during the school holidays after what has been a very stressful year for, for all concerned. We pray for families taking holidays at this time, that they would enjoy a good time and a restful and refreshing time away together. We pray for the faithful preaching of your word this morning up and down the country, particularly for John Billett as he preaches at Thatcham, that the people there will be built up in their faith through his ministry. And we pray for Colin as he comes to preach Trust shortly. May through his ministry you change, may you change our hearts this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Bush S. Grange is going to bring us our reading this morning from Nehemiah 10, starting at the end of chapter 9, and then Colin will come up and preach. Thanks.
2: Reading this morning is from Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, through to the end of chapter 10. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and the priests, the Levites, and the leaders of the people, whose names are included in verses 1 to 27. Continuing to read in verse 28. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, Together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage, to the peoples around us, or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighbouring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work." A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God.
3: Thanks, Shaz. Uh, let's just take a moment of prayer as we come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to receive this word this morning. We pray that you would give us humble hearts and ears to hear, that your spirit would work in our lives, that we would seek to glorify you in every part of our lives. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now I wonder if you have seen this before. It's a, a cracked bowl but has been repaired in a special kind of way. This is the Japanese art known as kitsugi, if I've pronounced it right. It's where the artist takes uh, broken objects and repairs them with gold lacquer. Without the repair, the the piece of pottery would really be worthless. But with the gold lacquer, with that repair, it's actually made more valuable than it ever was before. Because the artist has taken something that seemed totally broken and useless and made it far more precious than it ever has been. And in the same way, it's a picture of God's amazing love to us as time and time again as his people break their promises sin against them and smash what seemed to be any hope of a relationship with him God continues to forgive he continues to remain faithful and forgiving instead of destroying his people for their sin and rebellion he pursues them in love and mercy He calls them to repent, that is to to return to Him, to turn from their sins, so that they would be restored. They would be restored and be seen and be accepted as him, as precious. This is exactly what happens in our our passage this morning. As the people of Israel, well, they acknowledge their sin, as we saw last week in in chapter 9. And they repent of it, and they renew their relationship with the Lord. In the same way today as Christians, we want, to, we want to do the same thing. We want to understand what it means to live for the Lord as we live a life of turning away from sin and turning in faith to the Lord. As we, as we ask what a genuine life of repentance looks like, what does it look like to live a life of repentance? Firstly, there's, there's, there's three things really. That is. Firstly, to commit in a certain way to live in a certain way and thirdly to give in a certain way as you see firstly there to commit commit in a certain way as we as we saw last week from chapter nine the israelites are in jerusalem and the walls have been rebuilt but the people just keep getting trapped in a cycle of sin it's the cycle of obeying god and receiving his blessing And then turning away from him, disobeying him and experiencing his wrath. Only for the cycle to repeat itself again and again. But despite all this, the Lord shows his faithfulness and shows his love and does not wipe them out entirely. As it says in verse 32 of chapter 9 that our great, mighty and awesome God keeps his covenant of love with his people. He should have destroyed them. He should have destroyed them for their sins. But God remains faithful even when his people are not. And therefore, they acknowledge their sins. They acknowledge their sins because they know the character of God. They know that God is gracious and merciful. And so they cry out to him. As it says in chapter 9, verse 36 and 37. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors. So that, they could, so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In living their own way, having abandoned God and his word, they become slaves to all those around them. And therefore they cry out to God, as it says in verse 37 there, that we are in great distress. And it's in light of their rebellion and their sin that they, they turn to God in what is heartfelt repentance, true repentance from the heart, committing to live for the Lord alone, as it says in verse 38. In light of all this, in light of the fact that we've sinned against God, And we realize that he is merciful. We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. They acknowledge God's goodness, their sin and God's continual abundant mercy to them. And therefore they prepare to make an oath to make a promise, a covenant with the Lord to renew that covenant with him. Instead of just seeing it, they actually want to live it. They want to seriously live it out. And so they write it down. They write down their commitments in a binding agreement with all the leaders, Levites, and priests affirming it. And the type of language that is used here is that of covenant. When two parties make an agreement with one another, With specific stipulations. And this is the case when it comes to the covenant of marriage. Isn't it? As some of us saw even yesterday. With uh, Jordan and Zoe as they got married. It's a, a serious and weighty decision. Because it's a binding decision. A legally binding decision. Through a written document. Showing the love and commitment to one another. And not only that. But it's something that is done with witnesses. Because it's done in the sight of other people, but also in the sight of God. It's a serious thing, a serious commitment. And in the same way as a church, when we're thinking about regathering and rebuilding in this season, then we're thinking about the commitments that we make to one another. As we heard earlier, membership is an important part of that. And as we commit, we commit in a certain way to one another as we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we want to commit to that body, to his body, a local body of believers. And membership is a part of that. To love God and love others as we seek their good, both in our words and in our deeds. The greatest challenge to this is our own hearts. Because so often we don't want to commit. We want to do our own thing. And we don't want to be accountable to others because we realize that service will probably mean sacrifice, personal sacrifice to our preferences. But the gospel should grip our hearts. It should change us that we would want to live for the glory of God and the good of other people. God's grace should shape us in that way as we live for others as our hearts are changed. And as our hearts are changed. Then we'll want to, to live in a certain way. And as you look from, from verse 37 there. There are a number of different groups of people. I spared Shad's the embarrassment of reading all the names. As you see there. But there are a number of different groups of people. As they renew uh, their covenant with the Lord. Because firstly you have Nehemiah there in verse 1, and then, then, in, then you have the priests, the group of priests, then the Levites, and then the leaders of the people. And then you have everyone else, as it says in verse 28, that the rest of the people, uh, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighbouring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and their sons and daughters, Who are able to understand. So all the people agreed to it, every single person agreed to it, and they separated themselves from the surrounding people. And this isn't based on race or nationality, but in the fact that they are God's chosen people. They're God's people. And that he had set them apart. As it says in, in the law which they had, had read to them. In Leviticus, in chapter 20, it says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And the people are not trying to earn God's favor. But rather, because they already have God's favor, then they want to live for him. They want to live distinctive different lives because they are they are already god's holy people and they want to live as his people and therefore as it says in verse 29 in in light of god's mercy they want to follow all of god's word every single part of it in every part of their lives and this can really be probably the most challenging thing for us to live according to God's word, all of God's word, in every part of our lives. It means that we need to actually work hard at the meaning of the text in its context, so that we come away with a clear understanding. However, perhaps the most challenging thing is—it's not so much the the text that we don't understand, and the ones that are most unclear. It's the ones that actually are clear. Because then we have to obey them. Because anyone can read the Bible. Anyone can quote the Bible. But obeying the Bible is another matter. As the people of God hear the word of God read and explained to them. Earlier in Nehemiah. They, they commit to obey it in every single part of their lives. And so too, we, when we hear the word of God read, when we hear it preached, we don't want to just walk away from it. We want to obey it and apply it in our lives, that we would receive the blessing that that brings. And there are two specific areas that are specifically addressed in this passage. The first is marriage, and the second is the Sabbath. And so the first part about marriage in chapter 10 verse 30, we promise, they say, not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Israel was called to be a light, to be a light to the nations and live in an uncompromising way, both in their life and in their worship. They were not to be like the other nations who pursued other gods, but instead they were to be set apart, to be holy as God's people. And the same is true for us today as Christians. Christian marriages should be a witness. They should be a witness to the world as we live distinctive lives among other people. We want to live lives which mark ourselves out. Perhaps the most powerful witness in Christian marriage is maybe that we don't actually... We don't have to perform as everyone else does. We don't have to put on a good face as everyone else does. We don't need to project perfection when we know we're not. That is to say, with the phrase which is quite common at the moment, it's okay to not be okay. But our answer is, we can say that because God is in control. So I don't have to be. Surely that is the most powerful witness to other people looking on. That we don't need to perform, but instead acknowledge our sins, acknowledge our failures. Because God is in control and he is gracious in our sins and in our failures. Praise the Lord. The other more obvious application from this verse is that of believers and non-believers the relationship that they have the apostle paul really speaks frankly about this partnering with non-believers saying this do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness In the same way that Israel was called to be holy and set apart in their relationships, showing their devotion to the Lord, so too we. So too we as believers are to pursue relationships with believers only. As the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if we're married to an unbeliever, then we should stay married to them. We're not to be divorced. We're not to get divorced, but we should stay married. But if we're not married, then we should not pursue a non-believer for marriage. Because some of you might be thinking, yeah, but I can date them and then convert them. The only problem is, you're not the Holy Spirit. I know I've been there. It doesn't work. And not only that, but to pursue it to pursue it is to dishonour the Lord. It is to disobey his word. And friends, I know this is hard. I know this is hard for many of you to accept. But God's plans and purposes are good. That all his plans and his purposes are good because he is good so we need to trust him in that and so we're called to live in certain ways regarding relationships but we're also called to live in a certain way regarding the sabbath as it says in verse 31 when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the sabbath we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Even seventh, every seventh year we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. The Old Testament Sabbath was on the seventh day of the week or from Friday sunset until Saturday night. And to work on it was to break the fourth commandment. But with the presence of foreign traders, uh, loopholes began to appear And so trading was done on the Sabbath. The understanding of the Sabbath today is one which is quite controversial. As many good godly Christians will disagree and take different views on it. But I think one comment from one theologian is quite helpful. Because he says that when it comes to the Old Testament ethical matters such as the Sabbath, the basic principles remain unchanged, although details might differ. It means, therefore, that when it comes to areas such as the Sabbath, we have to look at it through the broad lens of principles rather than direct and specific commands that many of which are are not relevant to us today. Uh, One writer suggests four principles when it comes to thinking through how we live out the Sabbath. And The first one is honor God we want to use the lord's day to honor him the best way we can do that is by setting it apart making it different from every other day of the week Uh, so we want to make every effort as much as we possibly can to do that to honor god and secondly enjoy rest the old testament sabbath was on the last day of the week taken from the creation order the day that the lord rested However, as New Testament believers, we begin our week from a place of rest. We enter into the rest that the Lord Jesus has given us. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Therefore, we need to make provision to actively pursue rest on the Sabbath. In a sense, we need to be disciplined to rest. We need to work to rest. For many of us, that can actually be very difficult. To put everything down and rest. Because that is part of our worship. We rest for the glory of God. And thirdly, help others. It's a wonderful opportunity on a a Sunday, especially to be able to have fellowship and encouragement with other believers, to share food together, to share time together, and just have that encouragement to help other people. And not only is it good for us, but perhaps if we are employers, we should be blessing other people in the same way so that they too would experience the blessing that a Sabbath rest brings, that they would be able to encourage their families and everyone around them in that. And, and fourthly, declare truth. In the Old Testament, as the Israelites it stopped work and pursued the, the worship of God, it really showed what they lived for. It showed what was number one in their life. They didn't live for their families, their homes, their hobbies, their gardens, or their work. But they lived for the Lord. It was a day set apart to hear God speak and to respond in worship. And in the same way we should do that as we as much as we possibly can, seek to regularly sit under the word with God's people. As it's by living in a certain way that it will shape our lives to then give in a certain way. As it was in the Sabbath, so it's true for us when it comes to, to living as we live by the principle. And these, these verses really highlight four basic principles of, of what it means to be God's people, to give in a certain way. As you look at verse 32 in chapter 10, it should involve everyone. It says there that that we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give. As it says back in verse 28, all those who could understand agreed to fulfill these promises. It means, therefore, that that everyone, especially if we're members of LCBC today, that each of us, if we're earning, should be giving towards the church. We should be giving to God's work, to the advancement of God's kingdom, both nationwide and globally, as we seek to see the gospel flourish throughout the nations. Secondly, it should be intentional. Again, in verse 32, it says that they gave a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. If we apply the principle rather than the command, I don't know what a third of a shekel is. It says four grams. I'm not sure what four grams is. But if we apply the principle and not the command, we see that there was a specific amount given by the people for God's work. It means, therefore, that that when we give, we shouldn't just pull something out of our pocket and give it no we should be prayerfully planning and thinking about what we should give what the lord has put on our hearts to give we should be intentional about that not just impulsive thirdly it should be regular As it says in verse 32, the the third of a shekel was, was given each year in the service of God. And then in verse 33, it says that they agreed to give regular grain and burnt offerings at certain times of the year, dependent upon the festivals being celebrated. And not only were these gifts to be given regularly, but they were also, as it mentions in verse 35, to be the first fruits of the crops and every fruit tree the principle of first fruits is to give our first and our best. The principle is, is not to pay for everything else and then give God what we have left. No, we give God our very first and our very best, trusting that He will provide for us. As we give in faith, we give as an offering of worship to Him. And fourthly, it should be proportional. That means that we should give in line with our income. As you look to verse 36, 37, people would give different types of offering. They would give animals, grain, fruit, wine, and olive oil. And then there were even those who contributed wood to be burnt on the altar, as it mentions in verse 34. As whatever your background, you could give an offering. And not only that, but as it says in verse 37 and 38, the people would would bring a tithe to the priests. And again, whilst the command is not specific to us and is not valid to us, the principle remains. For some of us, a tithe tithe would be a good principle to live by. For others, a tithe that is 10% might crush us. But for others, maybe 20% of our income wouldn't make an impact at all in our lives. We want to give in principle. We want to give sacrificially, joyfully, and generously as we understand how we should give as God's people. For example, the church missionary committee takes a tenth of the offering and puts it towards mission. That is the principle. So we want to support God's work as much as we possibly can. As we seek to advance the kingdom of God everywhere. And as you look to the end of the passage, all the people promise to maintain the Lord's work. Saying in verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. But it wouldn't be long until Israel would disobey. They would break their promises with the Lord. The promises the people made, they would not carry out. If you read all the way up to the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, the Lord said, stop giving me offerings. Your heart is far from me. I don't want them. Because the people continued to rebel. Because as it says in verse 29, they they made promises to keep all the laws and commands and would be put under a curse. They said, put us under a curse if we break them. And yet, the thing is, we are like Israel because we do the very same thing. Because of our sinful hearts, we break our promises to God and should receive the just punishment for our sin. Therefore, we don't need more law. We need grace. As it says... In Galatians 3 in the New Testament for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith if we want to try and live a life to please God, to try and please him by the law, we'll never be able to do it. We'll never be able to achieve it because we have, to, we have to live by everything that's written in the book of the law. If we want to try and prove ourselves by our good deeds, by all the things that we do, we will never do enough. And in fact, we will fall under the curse of the law because we will not complete it. We will not fulfill it as we should but there is one that did. Our Lord Jesus fulfilled the law entirely and he took the curse of our sins, of our rebellion, that we would receive mercy, that we would be forgiven and brought into his people, that we would be precious to him, that we would be his beloved, his holy people. And now, therefore, we don't live by the command. We live by faith. and We live by faith in every part of our lives as we live as free people to give the glory and praise to God who deserves it. And so I want to really leave you with, with three points, three questions to ponder as we think about what does living by faith look like in response to church involvement and church membership? What does that look like for you and I? As we think about living by faith. What does it look like to live by faith in my relationships and on the Sabbath? What does it look like to live by faith in my giving? How would the Lord help you to respond to these things? Again, not by a command, but by faith as we trust him. I'm just going to leave just a moment of quiet as we reflect on this. And seek the Lord. And then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father we thank you. For the fact that you have. Liberated us. From the curse of the law. That we have broken your commands. And yet you have. Paid for our sins in full. That you have fulfilled the law. In paying for our sins and sending sending jesus to die for them and so lord we pray that you would help us to respond in faith to live in faith in difficult and challenging parts of our lives we pray that you would help us lord if that is uh, how we uh, live our lives as members as part of this church we pray that you'd help us lord in our relationships in our marriages how we live out uh, your holy day and how we we give the money that you have given us we pray lord that you would help us to live as your holy people not because we're trying to earn your favor but because we already have it in christ and so we pray that you would help us lord by your spirit in jesus name amen